guys. Bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, thank you guys so much, Lord, for our Peru mission, for just the men of our church. And I just pray, God, that you continue to work in everyone's life here, that this is a place, Lord, that we're not trying to prove or look as if we're anything, but, God, we just want to love you and progress in our worship and our love for you. And so, God, I pray that you cover um, TLC today. And as we look into your word, may you just equip us, may you inspire us, may you convict us with it uh, to go and do the work that you have called us to do. We love you, Father. We praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are going through a series called All in the Family. It is a series dedicated to really developing a change of heart, creating a game-changing moment for you and your family, right? The series, our whole, our whole entire theme for TLC this year is faith in action, beyond security, doing something outside the norm, being a game-changer in our society, and the place that we decided, you know what, where should we start? Where should we start with this process? We said, let's do it with the family. Because there's a lot of brokenness in our family. There's a lot of places. If we can change the family, we can change your neighborhood, we can change your city, we can change our state, we can change our country, we can change the world. If we start, we're doing it right within our family. Right? You know, Jesus, if God is who he says he is, if God is real, then he is the only one who actually knows what a family looks like. Amen? Right? He is the one who actually created the institution of family. So he is the only one who knows what will make it flourish, what will make it prosper. We can all do family. We can all do relationships. We can all do marriages. Right? But we'll always do less than the best if we don't do it according to the one who has made it. And so that's the only reason why we're here. I'm, I'm trying to share with you guys. I'm not saying that you guys can't have a family. I'm not saying that there's, there's only one way to do a family. I'm saying that without the person who has actually made the family, everything you partake in is always less than the best for you. And so we, 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 we begin this journey with talking about what is the purpose of family. And what we saw was in the family, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a cycle of brokenness that we see all the time. We see a cycle of brokenness in divorces, right? Husbands cheating on wives, and we get a next generation of divorcees, next generation of uncommitted people. We see a, a cycle of brokenness and bitterness and anger, addiction, dishonesty, shame, and hatred. Every generation, we say, I'm never going to be like my parents. But somehow, in that cycle of brokenness, we take on their traits. We take on that broken cycle, and we can't break out of it. And is it because, is it because, can it be because we have actually lost the purpose of marriage? We, we've forgotten what the purpose of family looks like. And so brokenness continues. Brokenness is a result when the people whom God made forgot what the purpose of family is. And we talked about the purpose of family being the reflection of the image of God. We talked about being, uh, creating a godly legacy to love and be loved by him. Right? Those are the purpose of family. And as we moved on from there, if that's the purpose of family, if we do it right, then everything will be then at least we will follow into the place where God has called us to be, right? That we will flourish in that role. But then we talked about what's the role of a man and a woman then. Take a little bit, a step deeper, we talked about what is the role of a man, what is the role of a woman, and we, we distinguish that role of a man is that wherever he stepped foot, that God has made you, the XY chromosome, man, that wherever you step foot, it is meant to flourish. 
whether it's in your house, whether it's in your church, whether it's in your workplace, wherever that you have been placed, that place should flourish because of your presence. It shouldn't be a place where people are actually sat or uh, disgusted when you come or uh, weirded out when you come or actually affected by you when you come. It should be a place that whenever you step your foot into, they are grateful that you are there. They, they sense the, the ability for you to create spiritual growth, that you are a person, a man with vision, that's not, who's not just a busybody, focused and lazy, passive. They see a sacrificial spirit. They see a spiritual atmosphere of love and kingdom-mindedness that you bring into the situation every time you are there. See, well, that's what it means to be a man of God. It's that wherever you go, you create flourishing. And why am I telling you, ladies, this about the role of men? First, for the brothers, is that you would have to understand that that's what God made you to be. That's what you can be. That's what you are meant to be. Do you realize that, that wherever you step foot, that place should flourish because of you? And, and the reality is, it's possible. It will be possible. It is possible. And same thing with our ladies. I, I tell you guys that only because I want you guys to make sure that when you're looking at your brothers, that you look at characteristics of men like that. Right? If you're going to be dating or marrying in the future, they look and, and ask the question, is this a man that actually creates spiritual flourishing wherever he steps his foot? Is he someone that creates a spiritual atmosphere of love and kingdom mindedness? Does he have vision? Does he create, create spiritual growth? In the same way with the roles of women, it's not just simply to be a helper, like most people you know, mis, uh, mischaracterize the context of the Bible. They say, oh, women are meant to be a helper. It's so much deeper than that. The Bible calls the woman the helper, but it's meant to be the force and the strength to lead things forward. Do you know that the word helper is the same thing as the word for God in the Old Testament? That God helps. Right? Do you know that Jesus took 12 broken men and he turned them into history makers? He, turned, he took 12 men who had nothing and no future, no growth, living day to day, doing nothing, and he turned them to men who turned the world upside down. And that is the power and the role that God has given to the ladies and to the women of our church, the women in this world, that your words, your presence, your affirmation, your strength, your spirit has the power to take brothers from the church, husbands from the homes, people from your work, and actually lift them up to a place where they can become History makers. Do you see women like that in your life who affirms and elevates people? Or do you see women who are gossiping and actually hurt people? Right? I, I get it, brothers. Just because they're pretty does not necessarily mean that they're good. And so we talked about the role of man and woman, what stops that. And we, and we talked about what that looks like in, in the role of marriage and singleness. If you're a married person, if you're married together, that together as husband and wife, you are creating this flourishing within your household, that there's a spirit of sacrifice, there's a spirit of um, spiritual atmosphere, there's a spirit of, of affirmation and attention and growth within that place. Singleness, that you're using your singleness to do something great for God's kingdom, that you're using your time wisely, that you're not just wasting it day by day, going through the motion, trying to chase after something, but actually recognize that here in this place, I have been given a very specific gift, my time, my energy, my youth. What is it I'm supposed to be doing with it? Then we moved on talking about restoring the picture of family. How do we restore that? That it can't be just about waiting for someone else to step in and do the work for you. 
right? You can't wait for someone to step into your family and try to fix your family for you. You can't wait for someone to come into your church and try to fix your church for you. You can't wait for someone to come into your workplace and fix that for you. There is no saviors out there. That it starts with you saying, you know what, I'm going to stop making excuses and I'm going to step into the role myself. That I'm going to be the person who's going to be called by God and to make it happen. That God's placed me there for a reason. Whether you're a child, whether you're a husband or a wife, that you are there to create and to push and to make it happen. Not just waiting, but thunder and lightning to come and for things to get right. We talked about how, and Evan shared about how the picture of family is restored. When the picture of family is restored, parents raise the kids to know God and children are commanded to honor parents. Right? All of this, guys, all of this whole entire journey is to get us to understand something. That God values the family. He values the institution of family. He made it. He made it with a humongous purpose to do a, a transformation to this world. So whether you are a son, whether you are a daughter, whether you are a father, a mother, a husband, or a wife, you are part of this amazing plan that God has to revolutionize and to move things back to where he's called us to be. That you are a part of the journey of restoring Eden. Yes, follow me, right? And today, what I want to talk to you guys about is the cost of following Jesus as a family. Because it has to be a cost, right? It's not just like, you know, we're not just talking about the idealistic idea of here. We're not talking about, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great to have such a man, right? Or wouldn't it be great to have that many women in our church? Or wouldn't that be great to have such a husband like that or a wife like that? Wouldn't it be great to have children like that or parents like that? We all, like, wouldn't it be great? How do we actually get on the road of creating this picture? There's a cost behind it. There's a real cost. And that's the beauty, that's, that's the one thing I love about Christianity, guys. Christianity is never an idealistic faith. It doesn't, it doesn't set the bar high for you and then kind of drop. It tells you exactly what it is, right? It says, you know, being a Christian is not easy. There is a cost to it. There, there's, there's, there's a journey that you have to pay for this to, to actually have flourishing, to actually see it happen. It cannot be just waiting and everything's gonna, just going to happen. There needs to be a price to pay, that you are a part of willing to pay that price. And let's talk about that today. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62. We're going to see uh, three individuals talking to Jesus and how, you know, if you were a, a person who started a movement of something, right, the way that they, the way that they speak, you were like, yeah, that's it. I want you to be part of my group. I want you to join me. But we see how Jesus kind of was actually harsh with them. Harsh with the way he, he, he treated them. Harsh with the way he rebuked them. Okay? I'm going to talk about this. The cost of following Jesus as a family. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and 58. Let's read those two verses first. All right. As they were walking along the road, a man said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay, the cost of following Jesus as a family means it will not be the way you want it. Okay, the cost of following Jesus as a family means it will not be the way you want it. See, this guy, sorry, this, is too hard. Sorry. this guy, he made a choice to follow Jesus. If, if someone came to you and says, hey, man, I heard about this club you have. I'm so excited. I heard about this movement you're doing or about this organization you're part of. I want to follow you. 
I want to be a part of that. What would you say? Yes, welcome. You get it. I welcome you. But what does Jesus say? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, son of man have nowhere to stay. Like, what is that? Right? Like, why, why wouldn't Jesus say, awesome, finally, someone who gets it. Follow me wherever I go. Do you know why Jesus said uh, that to this guy? Because this man, this man was an idealist. He came to Jesus not because he thought that the kingdom of God or what Jesus represented was something so amazing that he wanted to trust his life into. He came to Jesus because he thought to himself, being with Jesus is going to actually do something for me. He thought that being with Jesus is going to up his reputation, maybe change the trajectory of his life, would change his moral ethics. He thought being with Jesus is going to create some sort of nostalgic glamour of like adventure or mystic uh, uh, beauty of, you know, like going around, doing great things. He thought it would create this kind of aura for him. He thought he wanted to try something to change his lifestyle up. He thought that if I would do this, things would look a little bit better for my life. But Jesus is saying, I'm not bringing some sort of, like, do good and you're good for you. I'm not, I'm not here to give you a movement for your benefit here. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to give you some religious ideals. I'm, he, I'm here to bring a transformation to your life. Not just your life, but to the world around you. I've come to restore and make all things new. You're just looking for benefits for you? That's why. That's why he says foxes have holes, birds have air. Foxes have what? Have places to stay. Birds have a place to come and shelter. But those who follow me do not call this place home. We don't have a place to stay because this is not our home. Right? Oftentimes when we approach God and we say something like, I'll follow you. Right? We think it's like a matter of like going from uh, uh, being a Democrat to a Republican or Republican to Democrat, where, where, where you guys swing, right? We, we think it's just a change of like, oh, change of behavior, change of action, change of thoughts, uh, self-improvement kind of uh, deal. Or I'm going to get baptized because it's going to make my life look a little better. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join PT's uh, marriage counseling because that's the way you're supposed to do it. And, you know, if I, if I get married, you know, marriage counseling PT, I, everything's set up. It looks good. I look right. Everything, it's good for us to do that, right? But you're not doing it because it's devotion and surrender to God. You're doing it because why? There is something that benefits you. And so Jesus, he heard this in this man's voice when he says, Jesus, wherever you go, I will follow you. And Jesus says, no. What you really want is not me. What you want is to use me to get something for yourself. What you really want is to use me to be a means to, the, to your end. The cost of following Jesus as a family means it can't be about you. When you start thinking of your singleness, when you start thinking about your marriage life, when you start thinking about where you are placed right now, following after Jesus as a family cannot be about you. It doesn't mean like, uh, it's, it's a radical transformation of trust. If you think to yourself, I just want to follow Jesus and, you know, um, carve out this little area, this little patch of earth for myself and just enjoy the time I have left to call this place home. What you're really saying is I'm still looking for a place to give me a sense of purpose and fulfillment. 
You're not looking to, your lips can say, I follow Jesus, I follow you, and I love you, and I think and I trust you, but if your heart is, I really just want this out of it, then this right here, whatever this is, fill in the blank, this is, this is, this is, this is what brings you your sense of true joy and where you actually trust your life into. That if everything is at peace, I'm good to go. If everything is great, I'm great. Not him, but this. See, when we are single or married, we begin to live our life using God to make our life here or our home more comfortable or ideal. Right? We lost the picture of what it looks like to be a family man, to be a family, to be a man or woman that is driven by God. What I mean by this is very simple, guys. Okay? The cost of following Jesus as a family, it means that it's not going to be about you. It will not be the way you want it. I knew a couple who married 40 years, 60 years old, married since they were 27. Every year they, they increased their tithe by 1%, right, for 40 years of marriage. So if they started with 10%, by the four years of marriage they're giving away 50% of their income. And I was like, what are you, you're, you're retired, Bahamas, right, like Cancun, like don't you want to go out there? And I remember, the, I remember the one thing they told me was it was, it was very, um, I'm not telling you to do this, by the way. I'm just telling you this is a story, okay? Like, the thing that they, they share with me is they said, Tony, this is, I know that that sounds very pleasing and that sounds very restful and it sounds awesome. But me and my husband, our life is not, this is not, this is not our home. Our, our money is not a means for our, our joy and enjoyment. Our money used by God for whatever kingdom purpose he has for us, right? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have no place to set his head because why? This is not our home. It's not about me. My family, our, our financial uh, uh, blessings in our home, it's not about us. It's not about what we can use for the blessing of ourselves, but what we can use for the blessing of whatever God has called us to use it for. I knew, um, I knew a young man became a doctor, Asian, typical, right? All right, he's like, mom was elated until he left America to practice medicine in a third world country. And she was like, at least pay off your loans, fool. Like, what is wrong with you, right? Like, why are you gone? He said, mom, why, why did you think I got a medical degree for? Like, to buy me a house? Like, <laughs> obviously, right? He said, no, I've been gifted with you raised me in the church. You told me to go to church. You forced me to come here. You didn't think, like, I would catch Jesus somewhere, right? You know, like, I'm here. I've developed these skills. I've developed the talent. I've developed this for the sake and benefit of those who actually need it. The loans will be paid off eventually, right? But this is what it's for. Because why? This is not my home. This is not... I'm not using Jesus so I can get the medical degree. This is to find out what I'm supposed to be, that the cost of it is maybe not what you want, mother, right? But it's meant to be a blessing for others. I know, and, well, there's a story. You know, like, you know, Francis Chan, you guys know Francis Chan, the, the pastor, right? You know how uh, he opens up his family. Uh, as he's, he practices hospitality with his children. He tells his children, invite whoever you want over, you know? And sometimes the children invite a bunch of people over, and, his, and the wife is like, um, there's not enough food, right? 
And so they're like, okay, you can buy them over, but everyone gets a quarter of what you were going to originally eat so that everyone can eat together, you know? But even that picture was to what? That our home is not ours. You know what? If we invite a bunch of kids over and we have a lot of, uh, we have food to get, share, we'll then do our best to share it. Even if four of my kids end up like, you know, going to bed partially hungry, right? Because the, the ideal, the heart is, this is not our home. That we don't follow after Jesus to get something from him. But to be part of God's kingdom, it means to be transformed to a place where I trust him. I trust him with my finances. I trust him with my family. I trust him with my singleness. I trust him with my future. All right? I knew a student who, did not, who chose not to go to UC Berkeley and went to UC Irvine instead. Right? UC Irvine, woohoo, right? which is not a bad school, by the way. Right? At the ire of his parents telling me, please tell my son to go to Berkeley. I'm like, you should go to Berkeley, bro. Like, why would you go to UC Irvine when you got into Berkeley? You know, and his, his whole answer was, I want to be with my community. Uh, this is the place where I want to be a, a blessing. This is the place where I want to, I think you can do it up there too. You know, they need Jesus up there, right? This is, this is where God's placed me. This is, this, my home is not what degree I get, right? Whatever degree I get, Whatever university, I'm going to do well with it, you know? You get a pharmacy degree in whatever pharmacy school, no one even knows, right? You're still a pharmacist, bro. Like, it doesn't work. To, it's, it's the same thing throughout. The degree is a degree, but the reality is what are you, what is the mentality of why you do it? The cost of following Jesus means that oftentimes, church, listen, okay, it will not be the way you want it as a family. That's what he's saying. I know you're trying to self-improve. I know you're trying to raise the status. I know you're trying to um, feel like, you know, um, things can get better. But to follow after me, the cost of it, it means that it may not be the way you want it. Okay? Second thing, verse 59 60. Second dude comes up to him. He said to the other man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, to bury one's father was an expression to a, tra- was an expression to a tradition of religious commitment. This is a religious tradition. This guy wasn't even going to bury his dad yet. He was saying, let me carry out the role of burying my father when he dies. And after I've done my duty, then I'll follow after you. You guys get me? He was was saying, there is religious and cultural tradition that I have to follow first, and when that is taken care of, then I will follow you. Cost of following Jesus as a family means that oftentimes you need to negate religious-slash-cultural traditions to focus on God's kingdom first. It is not bad to bury your father, okay? I hope my son buries me. I hope he just leaves me on the street, right? I hope he does bury me, right? But the problem was this man did not want to hang around because he wanted to go to a funeral. But the guy wanted to stay faithful to what? His tradition. He wanted to stay faithful to his religious slash cultural tradition. And over time, what happened? This tradition became, the tradition of burying your father was not in the Bible. In the Bible. It's not biblical, right? I mean, you bury people, but it's not like it's in the commandment in the Bible. But over time, because it was such a tradition, it became ingrained in their culture so that when you say, even today they'll say it, I need to 
bury my father. I mean, wait till he pass out. Oh, pass away, pass out. Wait till he pass out, pass away, right? And then I'll bury him. So not only is he going to bury him, but, you know, oftentimes after you bury your father, you get the what? The inheritance with it, right? What Jesus is saying is this, very simple. I want, I want you guys to get to this. Oftentimes, we get caught up in family traditions, which are not bad, by the way. I don't want to say, like, all, you, all family traditions are wrong or they're, not, they're evil or they're ugly at all. You should definitely bury your father. You should do these traditions. But oftentimes, we get so caught up in the traditions that we lose sight of the life-altering, world-changing, kingdom focus we ought to have. So we say, oh, but this tradition, this is what we're supposed to do. But God is calling us to change the world. But I got to follow tradition. This is my cultural tradition. This is my religious tradition. But God is saying, I, I want to use your family to make a life-altering, world-changing act to this kingdom. Right? Let me, let me give you a few uh, family traditions here. Sometimes your parents will tell you, focus on making a good living so that when I'm old, you can do what? Take care of me. That's not a bad tradition, right? Very, very typical, you know, older generation tradition. Like, hey, I'm working for you. You're doing, um, I'm doing all this for you. I'm, I'm giving my life to you so that when you get older, make sure you study hard, get your job. And then when I'm older, you can take care of me. Right? It's not a bad tradition at all. Nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes we get so caught up in that. Here is God calling us to do something life-altering, life-changing. And we say, wait till I do this first, and then I can come and do this. Right? Wait, wait, 20, wait till 20 years pass by first, and then I'll finally have time for this. You guys get me? Right? Or another one. As a family, another tradition, as a family, we all need to go to the same church. Right? How many of you guys grew up in church like that? Where your, your parents are like, you all have to go to the same church because we're, we're a family. We don't break this family apart. It's a family, right? Or you need to speak your native tongue. If you're Vietnamese, speak Vietnamese. If you're Chinese, speak Chinese. If you you got to learn it, okay? Don't, don't be like only English, you know? Like I hear this all the time I, with my son, Seth, right? Grandma's like, he doesn't know Vietnamese, like, but he understands Vietnamese, like, but he doesn't speak it. So you're right, he doesn't. You're right, he's... Right? Or, or another, another tradition, you can only marry someone of the same ethnicity or culture. Right? You can't marry anyone else because I don't get them. I don't know them, so don't marry them. Okay? How many of you guys hear that all the time? Yes? How about girls? Girls can only do things that are gentle. Never hard. Don't play, only play piano. Don't play drums. Right? Gentle things. Soft-spoken things. You know what Jesus said to this guy? You know what Jesus said to a man who said, let me first bury my father as the tradition of my culture and religion. You know what he said to this? He said, let the dead bury the dead. He's basically saying, why are you so focused on religious cultural tradition? Why aren't you focusing on the life-altering, world-changing, kingdom purpose, kingdom building that I have in store for you? There's plenty of spiritually dead people who can stick around and focus on dead traditions. But you, he says, you go and change the world. You take your family, take your sons, take your daughters, teach them and be outside the realm of tradition and change the world. Let me give you some illustrations. I know you guys are thinking, I don't get this, right? I once had someone come up to me in our church, said to me this, EM needs a choir, right? I was like, what? He said, yeah. I was like, Why? It's biblical. I'm like, no. 
after I finished laughing, then I said, okay, what do you mean biblical? You see it in the Bible all the time. People join together and singing in chorus before God. I'm like, maybe we should get a harp too, right? Just get a big old harp. There's, there's harps in there. Why don't we bring in the trumpets? Bring in the trumpets. Declare, you know, what about the, I don't know what a liar is, but let's just bring that one in too, you know? And he was like, oh, then we don't need all that. I was like, yeah, exactly. We don't need all that. Can you imagine my EM standing up here singing choirs to each other? Like, can you imagine home or deacon just like standing up here doing a choir? I mean, like, it might be cute, but who knows, right? But I told him, look, look, if a choir can save 10,000 souls, I will build together the best choir in the world, okay? But if a choir is just for the benefit of singing songs to each other, I'm trying to get my church to love Jesus and proclaim him to the world here, right? And you're trying to get me to put my church, my, my people together and organize them in a way where they're just singing harmony, right? I'm doing my best with what I have to try to get my brothers and my sisters to love Jesus and to change the world for him. And you're asking me to organize them into a group that does harmony. What is the problem there? Tradition, kingdom building. Yes, yes, follow me. Nothing wrong with the choir. I love our choir when they sing for Christmas and stuff, right? They're wonderful. They're beautiful. They love, I love the ladies. They're all great in there. Tradition versus purpose. You guys get me? Right? Rather than purely focusing on paying your parents back with your work and education, focus on what your work and education can do to make disciples to bring God's kingdom here. Right? How many of you seen Aladdin? Aladdin, you know one? You seen it? No one has seen Aladdin? Am I the only one who loves Aladdin? I, I love Aladdin, okay? Jasmine, I loved him when I was a kid. I love, not Aladdin. I love, I, loved it, I loved it when I was a kid, right? I loved it. You know why I love it? Let me tell you why I love it, right? The whole premise is that it's a diamond in the rough. That's the whole premise, right? That the person that you're looking at is not really the person who they really are. You got to look deeper, right? Very, very biblical, I think. Oftentimes, they get kind of crazy. But anyways, the new Aladdin, right? They like the up Jasmine's. Up Jasmine's is like the role. She's like gangster now right? in, the, in, the, in, the, in the movie, right? But you know Jasmine? Do you know Jasmine named Naomi Scott, right? She is a Christian worship leader, right? In England, her parents are both pastors, right? I was like, no way. But you know the fact that she's an actress? You know what she brought awareness to? Compassion International, right? She, she is a big supporter, a big sponsor of Compassion International. And because of that, she brought a huge focus, Twitter or whatever, her platform allowed for her to have, that, to have that focus on compassion. No, just, I'm not telling you guys all be actors here or actresses, right? But I'm saying is that whatever work and education that God has given to you, whatever skill sets that he has offered to you, instead of thinking about how I, can I use this to pay back my parents, won't you first think about what can I use this for to make disciples for God's kingdom here? Rather than getting into the mindset that the whole family needs to go to the same church, right? Why not, which is not a bad tradition. I'm not telling you any of these traditions are bad, okay? Why not focus on the question, is my child actually learning how to disciple people to be an evangelist? Do they have the heart for God's kingdom at that church, wherever they're going? There's an unwritten rule of TLC here. If you sit in, in this church as a brother and if you're, if you're married to someone, right, as, a, as a, your husband, if they cannot sit under me, meaning like they just, PT is boring, I cannot take him seriously, like, this guy is off, right? You have all the right. And I'm actually almost begging you, right? Find a church where you can't sit under. I'm not, I'm not in the business of building more people in the church, right? I'm in the business of getting people to love Jesus more. 
If your husband, your single men, if you guys can't like, no, I can't take PT seriously at all. But you can sit under someone who you can, then go there. Go there. That's good for you. That's good for your spirit. That's good for your growth. That's good for God's kingdom. Why sit here and be bitter and angry, right? And like kind of whatever, and actually deal with what's going on inside. See, because if you sit under someone that you can listen to, you know what's going to happen? Then you obey what God is saying. If you obey what God is saying, then you flourish. And if you flourish, the people around you flourish. You become a blessing. See, I, got, I, see, I have a lot of parents that come to me and say, like, you got to convince my kid to come to this church. I'm like, okay. Like, where are they now? Like, they're in this church. Like, are they doing well over there? Yeah, they're like praise leaders, they're worship leaders, they're making disciples, they're doing missions. I'm like, they're such a great, I'm like, why would you want them to come here, right? They might get screwed up if they come here, you know? They, do, they sound like they're doing great over there, you know? Let them be missions over there. Like, but wouldn't, isn't that such a great thing for them to come here and do it here? Like, honestly, if they come here, they might not even want to do it here. Who knows, right? If they're doing great over there, let them do it great over there. Why would you force them to come here? But I never I say that out loud because I'm like, I'll try. Yeah, I'll still see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. See, rather than getting to the mindset that the whole family needs to, tradition needs to be together, why don't you take tradition and turn it into kingdom purpose, right? Rather than focusing on learning a native tongue, your native tongue, right, ask yourself the question, what tongue should I learn to be a blessing? Should I learn actually to be a blessing for others? I regret taking French. My dad told me to take Spanish, but I was like, Spanish? Just because we live in California, right? I mean, when am I ever going to go to South America, you know? Foolish, you know? My dad saw it before I even saw it, you know? Like, I go to Peru now, I'm like, hola. Como estas? Uh, I'm hungry, right? <laughs> you know, like, it's... Why, why not think about, if I'm going to learn language, let me figure out what language to learn to actually be a blessing. Yes, follow me, right? I got a couple more for you. Rather than focusing on the cultural background or the skin color of your future spouse, focus on whether your spouse have the characteristics of creating kingdom flourishing. Because it don't matter if you marry the same race, same skin color, same culture. If that person ends up being a busybody and a bum, great. They can connect with your parents, but guess what? They're a busybody and they're a bum. All right? Rather than focus on gender roles, focus on what you as an individual can do for God's kingdom. Take away the tradition. They're not wrong. They're not bad. But focus on kingdom purpose. Right? Traditions are never bad. They're there for a reason. They're there to maintain something. But oftentimes, kingdom's purpose is meant to do what? Drive you forward. See, God, like I tell, you, I tell the brothers all the time, God, he will find you where you are. He, he will take you where you are. He will, he will love you as you are, but he will never keep you as you are. He will, dis- he will fight tooth and nail to push you to be the man, to be the woman that God has called you to be. All right? The cost of following Jesus as a family means that sometimes you have to negate traditions and follow after kingdom purpose. All right? Last one. 61. Third dude, okay? The hurt guy. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Cost of following Jesus' family means that one, oftentimes, it may not be the way you want it. 
Two, cost of following Jesus as a family means that oftentimes you have to negate traditions so that you can do kingdom purpose. But lastly, the cost of following Jesus, uh, following Jesus as a family means you have to reevaluate your relationships. The third guy out of the two probably was the only guy who truly understood what following Jesus meant. Because the way, he, the way they were phrased, the word goodbye here, it literally meant let me go back and just tell them I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to basically surrender my trust in whatever I had before. I'm going to cut ties with that, and I'm going to follow you, Jesus. The word goodbye has that implication to it. Out of all three, the third one was the, probably the only one who gets it. And yet Jesus still said to this one guy, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He wasn't rebuking him. He was giving him a warning. He never told this guy, don't go. You guys get me? He never said, don't go back and do it. But he said, he gave him a warning with an illustration, agriculture illustration, meaning this. If you put your hand to a plow and you say, I'm going to plow this land. And when you plow land, you have to plow straight. That's how you, you, know, you, you put the seeds in, I think, right? And then you go straight, you know? You put your hands to the plow and you're supposed to go straight. The only way you can go straight is that you have to have a point of focus, not down here, but like before you. So you know exactly where you're going so you can stay straight. You guys follow? The moment you turn back, okay, better illustration. This is a bad one for you guys. If you want to drive straight on the road, don't look down and text, right? Because the moment you look down, you swerve. It doesn't matter how like, steady your hand is. The moment you look down, for some reason, you just start swerving back and forth, right? And so what Jesus is saying here for this guy who actually understood what it meant to follow Jesus, who was willing to trust him, to put his life into Jesus' hands, to cut ties with family tradition, to basically say, it's not about what I want, but whatever you want, Jesus. Jesus was giving him a warning. And the warning is something we all know. So if you go back and you talk to your family, you go back and you have a conversation with them, it's something we all know. You're going to hear something that might actually make you let go of that plow. You're going to hear something that will take your yes and turn it into a wait. You're going to hear something that takes your yes, Jesus, and turn it into maybe next time, Jesus. You're going to hear something that says, yes, Jesus, and says, no, not now. You hear stuff like what? Why are you marrying that person, right? We don't get along with his family or their family. They're not like us. Why are you marrying them? Because he or she loves Jesus Christ. I see spiritual growth in life, but they're not like us. They'll never understand us. They'll never be part of the inner circle, right? I was Fokker, you know, okay, man. Right? Why are you doing that? And all of a sudden, you're, yes, this is, this, is, this is the man or the wife, the woman that God wants me to marry. It becomes like, mm, maybe not. Right? You hear something like, why are you wasting your family finances giving to the church or giving to this cause or that cause? Your children aren't even eating properly. You don't even have a decent home to live in. Why, why are you wasting your money being a busy, but why are you giving to this organization that has done nothing for you, to these causes that has done nothing for you? Why are your kids that don't even have a, an actual home to live in? Why? And all of a sudden, your yes becomes maybe, maybe next time. All right? Why are you leaving the mission? You barely even do anything at home, which is actually a very... Legit rebuke, okay? Why are you going to missions if you can't even, like, take care of your home, okay? Why can't you just do missions here? 
Why do you have to like go all overseas and do all that crazy stuff for? All right? Take care, take care of your internship first. And then, and then, do as many missions as you want once you're financially stable. And all of a sudden, your yes to Jesus becomes, okay, in 10 years. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy for the kingdom work. You get that? You get the picture? Right? You want to go seminary? You know I wanted to marry a doctor, right? Not a preacher? Right? That's for me. That's for me. That was mine. <laughs> All right? No one, no one who puts their hand to the plow and you look back and you start talking, you hear words and you hear people who logic, they, they are logical when they t- say these things, right? It makes sense. Tradition, values, everything makes sense. And all of a sudden, where your heart was passionate, you were saying yes to Jesus. Yes, I believe. Yes, I trust. Yes, it goes against everything I believe in or everything I know to be, to, to be fruitful, but I'm just going to trust you. Your yes becomes like, yeah, maybe. No. Next time. All right. Jesus knew that oftentimes the hardest thing for us to follow, Jesus as a family, is to what? It's the deep, deep ties of relationship that we have, all right, that we have with people to a point that we let them talk us out of pursuing God's kingdom in all-out surrender. I'm not saying what they tell you is not logical or not wise. It is probably wise and it's probably logical, right? But I've never met God who have called someone into the work to call them in a wise, logical fashion. It's always outside the realm of ordinary. Why? Because that's how God works, so that you will never get the credit, and it's always up to him. So we turn our yes to a no, our wait, or it was a nice thought. Let's think about it some other time. The cost of following Jesus, church, as a family, as a single person, as a married person, as a husband, as a wife, as a unit, the cost of following Jesus, one, it's not going to be about you. So if you think that somehow as a family you, do this for, you, get, you get to the church and it seems more stable here, it would be good for us to be here. It's about us, our benefit, our personal good. You're missing the picture. If you follow Jesus as a means to an end, you lost the picture. The cost of following Jesus is oftentimes negating traditions that we've grown up with, that we've known so well, that we, that, that, that are part of our, our ingrained in our family, but yet God is saying, but I want to take your family. I want to take you and your husband and your children, and I want to take them in this trajectory. You're going to have to move away from this. Purpose versus tradition. And the cost of following Jesus, oftentimes it means that you're going to have to say no to your family. It means oftentimes you're going to have to stand up Right? And to reevaluate the relationships that you have that's causing you to say no to God or wait, God, or next time, God, or in 10 years, God. No one, Bible says, puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for service in the kingdom of God. So all of this sounds great and it sounds, I mean, if you've been in the church for a long time, you know, you're probably like, you, you get it. But for some of you guys who've never been in the church that long, you're thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, that's a lot of cost, bro. Like, I, I just met you for the first time. Like, let's, let's reevaluate our relationship. You know, what are you telling me all this stuff for? How do I know this is good for me? How do I know that actually trusting in Jesus is actually going to be better for my family? How do I know that laying down what I'm used to, what I am comfortable with, 
right? And putting all that trust into this guy is going to be flourishing for my family. How do I know that this is going to be a blessing for me? And the only way we have, the only thing that I will have the courage to even, even suggest these three costs to you guys, because who am I, you guys? I'm just a dude that happens to be preaching God's word to you guys. I have no power, no authority over you to demand or to command any of this. But the only power I have and the only trust that I have to even to offer this suggestion of cost to you is because of who Jesus Christ is. It's the only thing I have. Because Jesus Christ, the Bible says, though being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Right? He made himself nothing. Right? Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance like a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. You know what that, you know what that, that Philippians 2, right? You know, what he's, you know what he's saying there? That we have someone who is willing to, a father who is willing to give his son as a servant, not for himself. He didn't do this for himself. He became a servant, to, became, to obey the father, became obedient to death so that why? So that you and I will live. So that you and I will know for a fact that there is someone out there who actually wants it so much for us that he's willing to lay down his son for us. I'll tell you the truth, okay? This is how I know I'm not God, okay? Like, I probably, if I have a borderline idol in my life, the only borderline, I think it's my son. Honest, I, I, I know I joke about him a lot, but I think that he's probably the only borderline idol I have, right? And if, as much as I would want something great for you, I will never offer my kid for you, right? That's a hundred percent. Like I won't even give you a pinky for him, you know? Like that's—I mean, he'll cry like crazy, but like it was not. But what we have in the gospel is this picture of a father who would give his son willingly, and of a son who is willing to lay down his life to tell you, "You can trust me. You can trust me." There is no faith, there is no ideology, there is no worldview out there that would ever even offer such a, such a closure or a commitment. And yet, God, the Father, offers his son on the cross so that you would know, trust me, I made the institution a family. I know what makes it flourish, and I know what destroys it. You can do family. You can do family, but it will never be the best for you. It will never be as best as you can. And you can never see further as far as I can see. Because right now it may be great for you, but two generations down, it may be horrible for your grandkids, the trajectory that you are on. But I know that you can trust me, that if you're willing to pay the cost, not about you, break traditions, reevaluate relationship, trust me. There's a trajectory for you, for your family, right, that will not only bless the world, it will change the world, and you will be the vessel of blessing that I will use to do that. Trust. And that's all I, that's all I can give to you is what Christ has done. Other than that, I have nothing else. I have nothing else to offer, right? And so as we dream about marriage, as we are in our marriage, as we are in our family, the question I have for you is this, right? Do you really believe in your limited scope of knowledge that you know how to run your singleness in your married life, your husband life, your wife, your wife, 
how to run it well, how to do it perfectly, how to actually make it flourish. If you know you're limited, then would you place your trust in the one who has given his son and his life so that you will always say, yes, I can trust this. If he will go that far for you, do you think all of a sudden he'll just drop you here? I don't think so. All right. So bow your heads, guys.